Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. halfway through the uh, book of Zechariah, and uh, we've kind of walked through, um, walked through a lot of stuff, and, and one of the things that I want to kind of connect is a couple weeks ago as we were walking through chapter 7, chapter 7 kind of focused on the kind of people God is calling us to become while we're in that waiting period, while we're in that period of life where we didn't expect, didn't necessarily want but God still wants to do a work in us during that time, that we don't just wait those times out, that there's a purpose in those times, that God wants to, to, to move us from where we are to, to really what he wants us to become. And then last Sunday, it was really cool because we had this celebration Sunday where we had baptisms and we had testimonies and we had uh, we, we, we commissioned all of these, uh, all the way from, from, from junior high students to adults to, to go out on different missions. And we got to celebrate. And, and, and so this morning, we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 8, where, where he looks forward to what God has prepared for us, what really we're all preparing for, what we're preparing to participate in. And I love how Celebration Sunday yesterday was kind of the, 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 the stuff between seven and eight because it reminds us of what we're looking forward to. That we've got work to do here in, in a time and place where we may be struggling, but God still has a mission for us. And, and what we're looking forward to is what, we, what he has prepared for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 8. And the big question that we've been kind of juggling over the last number of weeks is this, that are you becoming the kind of person who is prepared to participate in God's kingdom? Is that happening right now? Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer as he teaches his disciples to pray. He prays the statement, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. And so really, what God's doing right now with us here on earth is, is he's causing us to become more and more like Jesus so that heaven can be more accurately seen through our lives, through our behavior, through the way we think, through the way we interact with those around us. And for later, at the redemption of our bodies, when we, we see Christ face to face, that during this time, the work and the trans, transformation in our lives will have brought us to a point, not because we're good or we're that skilled, but because the Holy Spirit has worked in us to bring us to a place where we're ready to experience that which God has prepared for us. And, and, and so transformation, God transforms us so that we can not only function, but participate in our reward, what God's prepared for us. And, and, so, and so looking at Looking at the, the first couple of verses, 
the first couple of verses of, of chapter 8, here's how, here's how Zechariah continues his thoughts from chapter 7. He says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Verse 3, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem, shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Okay, so there, this, this passage here actually is, is, is reminiscent to where we started in Zechariah. Because when we started in Zechariah, the prophet started out saying that, that God was angry with great anger. Do you remember that? When we started, we talked a lot about anger and how God's anger does not really resemble man's anger. That, that they're two very different things. That, that when we get angry with people, we have kind of a, a focal point of wanting someone to get what they deserve. Or, or our anger tends to drive people away from us, right? If, if, if you're angry or if I'm angry, typically the, 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 like the, the conventional wisdom is we'll just leave them alone for a while. Let's create some space. Where God's anger is always redemptive, it is always restorative. That's the point of God's anger. That when God is angry with us, we are called to draw close to him. And so we, we talk through how God's anger differs from our anger. And now we come to chapter 8 where, where this, there's this, this word jealousy thrown out. And God says that he's jealous with great jealousy. And it even says jealous for Israel, for Zion with great wrath. Now, in, all the, in, in the context that I experience jealousy, probably the context that you've experienced jealousy, they aren't terribly positive because the human experience, usually jealousy is exercised in an evil manner, isn't it? In fact, sometimes I think jealousy can be good, but it doesn't stay good for long, does it? It transitions quickly. In fact, oftentimes jealousy for human beings and the way we experience it and the way we, we, we feel it and we, we, we project it outward towards people and where we receive it is, is typically in very much a self-love way and is usually, uh, we are, it's all about us and what we want and what we felt, not necessarily about what's right or wrong. Jealousy and anger seem to be very similar as expressed and experienced by human beings, human anger and jealousy will always tend toward destruction, doesn't it? It kind of goes that direction. In fact, when we, think of, when we think of jealousy in human terms, when jealousy lasts for a while, it's, it starts to, it, maybe it started because maybe you cared about someone or you loved someone and it didn't go the way you thought and you were jealous of what was happening in their life. And it started out because you loved them or cared about them, but if it goes on for a while, it doesn't stay that way, does it? It oftentimes moves into a direction of being vindictive or wanting revenge or just simply wanting to punish someone because of what you've experienced. That tends to be the trajectory of, of jealousy as human beings. But, but see, godly jealousy is something that's very different. And when God's talking here about his jealousy for his people, 
It's not going to go the way we tend to normally experience jealousy in, in our contexts, in our communities. You see, God's jealousy is taught throughout the Bible. And jealousy is typically called sin for everybody but God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, Paul says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Later in Romans 13, 13, Paul, Paul again says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says, don't walk that way. But, but it's interesting because we see all of these things throughout Scripture that talk about jealousy in a negative light and, and how we need to rid ourselves of jealousy, yet, yet, yet we see God described and self-describing as jealous. In Exodus chapter 20, when, when Moses communicates the, the law of God for God's people and he shares, he begins in, in verse 1 of chapter 20, he says, he says, Quoting from God, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is, that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, we, we go back to this point where Moses is, is relaying God's law to, to the Israelites, and it's so interesting. Again, he says, he says don't have any image, don't make any images of me. Why? We, we talked about that as, as Kyle and Travis talked through the Image of God series. Why is making an image of God so offensive because God has already made images of himself. We are his images. We are his imagers. And then he goes on to say, don't do that and don't bow down to anything else. And he says, for I am a jealous God. He says, don't love, don't replace me with anything else. He says, because I'm jealous. And, and we'll come back to, to what that jealousy looks like. And not only there, but, but we see, we see a, a, a point in Paul's writing where he puts a positive spin on jealousy. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, for I feel, he says, a divine jealousy. Again, to, to make a distinction between how we as humans express and experience jealousy, he says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, what he's saying, he's speaking to those believers in Corinth that he was able to, to introduce to Jesus Christ and lead them into salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life in Christ. And he says, I feel a divine jealousy when you start to go off track. It, it hurts me, and it, it's, it, it is offensive. And he says, I feel this divine jealousy. So, so what, what does that look like? See, human jealousy is probably more accurately described as envy. That's where it will go 
every time unless we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. See, Paul's divine jealousy for those of the church in Corinth would very easily move to a place where he would become bitter and vindictive toward them if he does not daily and hourly make a choice to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and make sure that that does not become about him rather than about God. And so really what we see in human jealousy, it's really envy, it's selfish. It's about me and how I feel. It begins with a loss of something we love or the threat of loss of something we love. And it ends usually in destructive hatred or anger. It's really focused on my ego and my pride because when when I start to become jealous, it's about how I've been slighted and it's how I feel and it's about my ego and about, it's about my pride because I don't want to look foolish in front of other people. You see, human jealousy replaces love with anger, the human non-restorative kind of anger. How quickly does your jealousy, when you're jealous of someone that you cared about and had relationship with, how quickly does that turn to something destructive? And I don't know about you, but I know for me, it doesn't take long at all. It is a very quick trip. It's like I have the fast pass to moving from from a jealousy that that is is caring to a jealousy that is that is wants some kind of uh, vindication for myself. But godly jealousy is different. The jealousy that God expressed, that He describes Himself as a jealous God, what Paul says, this divine jealousy that he has for those of the church in Corinth, um, Charles Spurgeon says it really well. He says this, he says, God's jealousy over his people presupposes his covenantial love. Okay, so what he's saying there is that God's jealousy for his people is rooted and grounded in his covenantial love. And what is God's covenantial love? It is that God has made a covenant with his people, that he loves them, and that when we make a covenant with God, we make a covenant of of salvation with God, and so that's where God says, I will never leave nor forsake you. So God's jealousy over his people presupposes his covenantial love, and this love is no transitory affection, accidental and aimless, but it is the expression of a sovereign purpose. The goal of the covenant love of God is that he should have a people on the earth as long as history lasts, and after that should have all of his faithful ones of every age with him in glory. Covenant love is the heart of God's plan for this world. The only good God is, in fact, a jealous God. See, God would cease to be good if he didn't have jealousy for his people. If God didn't put up a fight when his people were drifting, that wouldn't be, I mean, and think about this. If if as a parent that you love your children and they start to, to do things that are destructive and they start to hurt themselves, would you be a good parent if you said, eh, oh well, nothing I can do? Or, or would people expect you to be upset, frustrated? Would people expect a little bit of fire under you if that was going on? And again, you can't control 
But if you didn't, if you were non-responsive, people would probably start to question whether or not you cared about your children. See, only a good God would be jealous. A bad God would say, oh, well, I'll just make more. I imagine that as a parent saying, well, that first kid screwed up, I'll just make more and see how I do with them, (laughs) which is probably not the best parenting idea. (laughs) And, and And so really, when we look at God, God's jealousy, we need to understand, is born from his love. Really, God's jealousy is love angered which we have to remember, we're talking about God. So when we say anger, we're talking about restorative anger. Anger that's goal is restoration. So God's jealousy is love angered that stays love. That's a huge idea. It's simple, it's short, but think about this. Jealousy, God's jealousy is love angered that stays love. How often do we get jealous and our love is angered, but it stays love? To be honest, uh, my jealousy, when I'm jealous, when it, whether it's in a relationship with a friend or it's, or it's with Sherry or it's with my kids, my, my jealousy is love angered that very quickly becomes punishment or vindictiveness or, or any other kind of thing. But, but you see, what God's jealousy is, it is love that is angered that remains love. It's not about pride, but about the lost relationship and the restoration of that relationship. That's what drives God. Because when one of his children, his sons or daughters, begins to move away from him and begins to love and worship other things, what we read in Exodus 20, when they start to bow down to things that are undeserving, when they love things other than God, more than God, God's love is angered, but it stays love the whole time. It never changes. Tim Keller puts it well. He says that God's jealousy is love fighting extinction versus love gone extinct. The idea that, that, that God's jealousy is love fighting the extinction of that relationship rather than love turning into punishment or hatred, which is love gone extinct. And, and, so, and so God's jealousy is, 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 is very different from our jealousy. And so, so when we think about God being jealous, what, what that is a reminder of is that God deeply loves us and he continues to love us and he will never, ever change from loving us to just wanting to punish us, to doing things that are vindictive against us because his jealousy is his love that is angered and remains love. And remember that God's anger is always restorative. It's always trying to bring us back. And so as as we see in verse three, he says, thus says the Lord, 
I have returned to Zion. Again, back to, back to the very first chapter. God immediately says, as he talks about his anger, he says, return to me. He keeps saying, return, return, return. And here again in chapter 8, he says, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. Because up to this point, the whole, the whole reason they're in exile for these 70 years is because Israel is not faithful. <laughs> Jerusalem is not characterized as the faithful city. But he says, no, no, I will return to Jerusalem and they will be known as the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And, and, and so, and so what, what he's saying is that, that my anger and my jealousy for you will result in a restored relationship. It will result in something that you couldn't even imagine or dream of or build yourself. And so what he's going to do here in the, in the following verses is, is God is going to describe through his prophet Zechariah what God's jealousy and his anger will accomplish in, in his people. And see, this is the whole point of God's anger and jealousy against Israel. And it's in verse three. It's right there. It's just what we read. I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. That there is this promise and reality of God's presence. That so often when, when we in relationships, when we're disappointed, when we feel slighted, when we feel betrayed, when someone loves someone or something else more than us, it very rarely results in a return and a strengthening of that relationship, does it? But that's exactly what God says he will do. And so look at, look at verse four. The, the following verses, verses four through verse 23, are the consequences of God's jealousy. Because when we think of the consequences of jealousy, they're pretty negative, aren't they? <laughs> they're ugly. You can, you can read the news or, 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 or watch the news and you can hear about very destructive things born from jealousy. You can hear from a jealous lover who does a terrible thing to the person who was once the object of their affection. And so when we think the consequences of jealousy, we tend to think of a lot of negative things. But, but here, the consequences of God's jealousy are as follows, starting in verse four. Verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with, with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And what he's describing here, listen to what he's describing. He's catching both ends 
of age. He says, and there will be old men and old women. And he says, they'll be carrying staffs, not to defend themselves, but because he's saying they're up there in age. They need help walking. And he says, there will be old men and old women in the streets enjoying themselves while they're seeing children, boys and girls, the very young, playing with not a care in the world in the streets in the city. And then he goes on and he says, and then God, he says, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. In other words, he says, there won't be any threats. You, you won't need to ask your kids to be in at a certain time, or there won't be parts of town that you, you avoid because those are scary areas. In other words, what he says is one of the results of God's jealousy is the peace of God. And that almost sounds, that almost sounds like conflicting, isn't it? That jealousy results in peace, <laughs> but that's what God's jealousy does. God's jealousy will result in the peace of God entering into a place. And that's what God is preparing for us, is the peace of God. Such peace that, that both the old and the young will have no cares about their safety or what's going on around them that they'll be able to enjoy everything that's going on. And there won't be fear from, from attack or fear of something bad happening or, or any, any need for an alarm system or any need for security. Sorry, Steve Rank, I don't want to say, you know, I mean, I know you're a security guy. <laughs> but eventually, in God's kingdom, you'll have another job. <laughs> Sometimes I go off sideways. I don't know. Um, but, but that's what he's preparing us for. That there'll, there'll, there'll be, it'll be perfectly peaceful. Look at verse 9. He goes on. In verse 9, he says, uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in those days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will deal with the remnant of this, this people as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Notice in this section, he begins, says, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. And at the end in verse 13, he says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. A consequence of God's jealousy is the strength of God. Not only does God's jealousy result in peace, the peace of God, but it results in the strength of God. And he says, don't worry about the things around, but, but be strong, be, strengthen your hands. Go and, and enjoy the results of what I've done. 
And he says, I will give you all these things. And he starts by saying, be saying, let your hands be strong. And he ends, fear not, let your hands be strong. And it's not that he's saying, have great confidence in yourself and your own strength. He's saying that as God will bring his peace, he will bring his strength. This is all descriptive again of the results of God's jealousy for his people. And once his people return to him and he returns to them, this is what God is preparing. See, again, we go back to what we've talked about before in chapter seven. And he said, and and the prophet said, you know, are you going to be the kind of people that can participate in what? In this. Are you allowing God to do the work in you so that you can be ready to experience the consequences of his jealousy? Verse, Verse 14 Continuing on in the text, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all of these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy. Remember previously they said, How long should we mourn in these fasts? But he says, these will be turned into seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. And so really, we see that the consequence of God's jealousy is the grace of God. God's jealousy brings forth the peace of God. It brings forth the strength of God. And it brings forth the grace of God. Just just look for a second at verses 16 and 17. He says, these are the things that you shall do. This should sound familiar. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another or swear false oaths. That goes back to what God said, I want from you in every book of the Bible. It's what we talked about two weeks ago. It's summarized in justice, mercy, and humility. Back in Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. He says that again here. He says, this is what will characterize you in this place that I've prepared for you. You will live out justice and mercy and humility only by the grace of God because frankly, when it comes down to it, we are not good at justice. And we are not good at mercy, and we certainly are not good at humility. But through the grace of God, we will be characterized by those very things. Finally, verse 20. He continues. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities, 
The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. This is talking about those cities that are filled with people who did not recognize God as the one and only true God, the God above gods and God and Lord above lords. That these people are now recognizing God as the Lord of hosts. In verse 22, it says, many people and strong nations like Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia. Many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue. There's no exception where the greatness and the salvation of God will reach. From the nation that 10 men from, ev- from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. One of the results of God's jealousy is the salvation of God. That when God is jealous for his people and he, he, his jealousy is his love that has been angered, that remains love. And when God gets his people's attention and draws them back, even though they have rejected him, it results in the salvation of God. Not just in the life of those people, but it extends beyond them because people see God's goodness and his greatness and his justice and his mercy in his love. And so, so a result of God's jealousy is the salvation of God. And so really, this is what God is preparing for us. And, and, and a couple weeks ago, we, we, we walked through that thing of it, you may be in a time where, where you're in a time of waiting and struggle and you don't know what tomorrow holds and, and you certainly don't like what today holds. But this is what God is preparing you for. This is why that, that our focus should be, I want to become the kind of person who's ready to participate in God's kingdom because God's kingdom is characterized. What he's preparing us for is peace and strength and grace and salvation. That's what characterizes what God is preparing for us. And, and so, you see, it comes back to this issue of God's jealousy God has painted this incredible picture of what he intends for us. That he intends that one day you and I, if we have surrendered to Jesus Christ and received him as Savior, that one day you won't have any fear. You won't be tired or weak anymore. God will move through you to make you something that you could have never become on your own through his grace and that you can be assured of his salvation. And and, and so here's the reality of where we live, though. We're not quite there yet, are we? (laughs) And so what does God's jealousy have to do with me now? Here's the thing. When, When I love someone, when I care about someone, when my affection and my affinity... And has been, has been focused on someone and I'm losing them or someone I love is hurting themselves or hurting others, I don't just brush it off. I get angry. Now, the problem 
with me is that because of my selfishness and my pride that I'm working on, that anger can become hateful and destructive really, really quickly. But even in, in, in my broken state, when someone I love, when I'm losing something, I become jealous and, and that turns to anger. But because of my problems, that becomes destructive. You see, remember that God's love gets angry, but it stays love. It remains love. And, and, and here's the thing that I want you to catch this morning. We have, I think, a very wrong view of sin. We need to understand sin the way it impacts and affects God. I think we have an underestimated view of sin in our lives. Let me see if you can identify with this. I tend to think of sin because Jesus and his death on the cross and his forgiveness of me, I tend to think of a lot of my sin as a speeding infraction. That when you're speeding, I mean, okay, who, who drives a car and doesn't speed ever? That's almost impossible. Like, I don't think, I, don't, I, would, I would challenge anyone that you've never gone over the speed limit. And, and when we do that, and if we get pulled over by a police officer, it's not really that big a deal, is it? They might give us a warning. They might give us a ticket. But really, it's not really that offensive. It's not really that horrible. You get your, in fact, sometimes they'll even say, I'll get this over quick and get you on your way. <laughs> then you, you know, pay your fine or go to traffic court. Do, you do whatever you do to try and make it as painless as possible. But unfortunately, I think off too often, I see my sin as a speeding violation. It's no big deal because God will forgive me and it'll go away. Because you see, when we sin, we don't just break a rule. When we sin, we commit spiritual adultery, we betray God, and we break God's heart. See, when, we, when I sin, it is not like I've just gone over. It's not like I'm going 40 miles an hour in a 35 zone. When I sin, it's like me coming home in the morning and saying to Sherry, I just spent the night with another woman. But you'll forgive me. How different is that than speeding? That's exactly what our sin is. When you and I sin, it's like we're saying to God, I just spent the night loving and worshiping and bowing down at another altar, but you'll forgive me, right? See, we are, we are called not just to obey God, but to love him exclusively. And so when we sin, when we do that to God, doesn't it make sense that he would be jealous? 
Doesn't it make sense that his love would be angered? Now, for me, I'm seeing that context of of Sherry coming home in the morning and saying, I spent last night with another man, but you know, you'll forgive me. Sorry about that. My jealousy, my angered love, it is tough to keep it love. But that's what God does every time. We cheat on God every day by sinning. And God's angered love remains love for us. That's an unbelievable thing. In, in the text today, it's said more than once that God said, and I will be your God, and I am your God, and you will be my people. You see, when God says, I'm your God, he says that throughout the whole Bible. He says it in the Old and New Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's done almost in a metaphorical way. But in the New Testament, it becomes very literal. Because let me give you this example. If I were to say to you, I'm at your disposal, you, you know what I'm talking about. Now, if I said to you, I'm at your disposal, and then you said, oh, good. Said, I'd like you to put this, um, I'd like to put this chain on your leg, and I'd like to um, chain you up at my house, and then you're just going to do whatever I want you to do at my house. I would probably respond to you saying, I think you misunderstand what I mean by saying I'm at your disposal. That's not what I'm talking about. But that's exactly what God does in the New Testament. Jesus Christ says, I am your God. I am your Savior. And Jesus was taken away as a slave. And he was crucified for you and me. You see... Human love, when pressed, will kill. But God's love, when pressed, will die. See, when our love is threatened and pressed, we lash out. When God's love is pressed and challenged, he's willing to die to restore that relationship. That's where God's jealousy ends. See, God has an incredible future for those who have surrendered their lives to him, but that's not the reason to love him. We love him for who he is. And as you think this through, what you've heard this morning, what you've seen in God's word, here's a couple questions that I would ask you to consider in your communities this week. The first question is this, Kind of a statement and a question. Idolatry is when we look at anything other than God and conclude that we can't live without it. That's where our spiritual affairs begin. Where is God jealous for you? Where in your life are you pursuing other loves that is sparking God's jealousy for you. And here's the thing that you need to remember, that even though you and I and our sin have committed spiritual adultery, don't run away from God. His angered love draws you close because it still is love and it will never change.
So where in your life is God jealous for you? Where are you placing something above God? And what are you gonna do about that? Second question is this, how do I love God? And it comes down to the three things that we keep coming back to. Are you becoming a person who does justice, who loves mercy, and who walks in humility? How do you love God best? You join him in his justice. You love his mercy and you give his mercy to everyone. And you walk humbly. That's how you love God. I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, um, I would encourage you to come forward and let one of these people pray for you. Maybe you're in a place where you are overwhelmed with your sin and you're afraid of God. Maybe you need someone to pray over you this morning and remind you that God might be angry with you right now, but he still loves you. And all you have to do is cry out to him for forgiveness. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for your love and your affection for us. God, I thank you. I thank you for your jealousy. God, so often in, in my human relationships, jealousy frustrates me, but God, I thank you that you are a jealous God and you are jealous for me. And Father, I thank you that your angered love remains love for me. God, you have incredible plans for us. I pray that we would become the kind of people who are prepared to participate with you in your kingdom. And that this week, God, that we would have a more realistic understanding of how our sin affects you and that, God, that we would run from that and run toward you. We love you, Jesus, and I pray that you would help us to grow in justice and mercy and humility that that would come from our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, please come forward. We'll see you next week.